Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Uh, this week, of course, Apple launched their new uh, iPhones and, and tablets and other product announcements, their annual fall event. And uh, we've got a lot to discuss there. They launched the iPhone 13, iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 Pro, and iPhone 13 Pro Max. Now, this year does look like uh, a little bit of an iterative year. And uh, you can recall that for a time, Apple was even indicating it was an iterative year by adding an S after its uh, name. It did away with that with the, uh, the iPhone 7 and skipped the 8 altogether and went to the to the iPhone 9, probably to keep up with the uh, numbers that uh, Samsung was using, because Samsung was uh, quickly outpacing them each year that Samsung released a phone and got a new number. And who wants to buy a phone when it's got a lower number than the competitor? So it, But at the same time, you know, I, I do think there are some interesting developments that uh, that are taking place with some of these announcements. We're, we're seeing some early results from some uh, initial benchmarks that uh, Mac Rumors is reporting on that shows that the iPhone 13's A15 chip is about a 15% improvement in uh, GPU and about a 10 to, to 20% improvement for CPU over the, their prior chip, the A14. So it does look like you're getting uh, greater performance. And at the same time, there were some things we were thinking might come to this device, and and we didn't get them. For example, we thought we might see a USB-C port replace the Lightning port, and it didn't happen, at least this year. Maybe it will happen next year. So th- this was, uh, I think, uh, very much a, a mixed bag of uh, announcements from Apple. Uh, to your point, I think that the new iPhones were very much viewed as uh, incremental. Uh, I think another issue with the S designation is that uh, Apple is adding uh, a number of suffixes to iPhones that uh, they did not have in the past, like SE for sort of a lower end model and Max and Pro. So uh, things could get, you know, arguably a little bit more confusing uh, if you have a, um, uh, you know, yet another letter designation in there. Uh, Another thing to consider, I think, about the improvement in processing power uh, is that uh, one of the benefits that Apple touted uh, on these new phones, probably the one that will um, cause most consumers to cheer is uh, an improvement in battery life. Uh, you know, as usual, there are improvements in, in imaging. Uh, there's better low light photography, mostly due to computational uh, improvements in the algorithms. There's uh, a lot happening with uh, video, cinematic video, the ability to change uh, focus, uh, depth of field, in real time, uh, there's even more new WYSI video features uh, in the Pro uh, line, which uh, has been a big part of its lineage. Uh, but uh, Apple is promising anywhere from one to two and a half more hours of uh, battery life on a single day, uh, through which they have achieved through uh, a number of uh, techniques, such as one, you know, fairly straightforward 
putting putting in a bigger battery. Uh, another being, uh, you know, doing similar kinds of tricks that we we've seen on the Android side for some time, such as uh, automatically degrading performance to LTE uh, when um, uh, when five G uh, is is not needed. So uh, so this is you know going to make a um, uh, a significant difference for a lot of users, uh, but still probably not enough to convince uh, users of the 12 to to upgrade. Uh, may have, you know, if you were uh, an iPhone user holding back on the first generation of 5G phones, then now uh, might might be a more appealing time. Particularly again, as carriers can continue to roll out uh, these networks. Um, you know, beyond uh, the iPhone, which of course is um, uh, always the the most significant in terms of Apple's uh, revenue picture, uh, it was kind of interesting to see so much focus uh, on the uh, iPad Mini, uh, which has historically been something of a laggard product in uh, Apple's uh, iPad lineup for reasons that aren't that difficult to understand. I mean, there's always been this perceived value gap. Uh, whereas it has a smaller screen than the baseline iPad, but it costs more than the baseline iPad. And Apple even extended that gap uh, with uh, with the new iPad mini. But it really is a very nice makeover. You know, they've gotten rid of the uh, large uh, home button. Uh, they've put Touch ID on the uh, on, on the power on button uh, f- to create sort of a seamless uh, display experience. Uh, they've added 5G. Uh, they've added uh, improvements to to the camera. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've always uh, liked uh, the iPad mini. Uh, it's, uh, I've always enjoyed, liked how, uh, you know, the amount of power that it can deliver uh, in a very small uh, form factor. And it runs iPad OS. So you get a lot of uh, multitasking advantages versus uh, versus the iPhone. Um, you know, it's never going to take photos uh, as beautifully as as an iPhone or or an iPhone Pro, uh, but uh, you know, it's very useful in, in a lot of different scenarios. I think what was interesting too for me this this week was that we had a lot of rumors bouncing around that looked credible heading into the event. Things that we thought we might see. Uh, we thought the the iPhone might, for example, support uh, satellite functionality. We we didn't see that. We saw a lot of rumors about what the Apple Watch Seven would provide, and we didn't see some of those things uh, come to fruition. So there were a, a lot of rumors in advance of the uh, you know announcements that we didn't see uh, materialize. Well, again, I, I would say on the Apple Watch, uh, relatively speaking, a pretty significant upgrade, right? Whenever you're extending the screen to the extent that they have over the past few generations, uh, that's uh, that's going to be something that you can pick up immediately uh, lo- looking at the device. So uh, improvements also in the uh, Apple Fitness uh, service, uh, Fitness Plus, uh, an even stronger run at Peloton's business with these uh, group and and traditional gyms, for that matter, uh, with these uh, with these group classes. Uh, and so, um, you know, we we didn't see anything new on the Mac, anything new on the iPad Pro. So uh, they're almost or iPad Air. So uh, we're almost certain to 
see another uh, event happen this fall. And I think that's the other thing that we're seeing with these announcements. I mean, you alluded to it there, Ross, that with the new hardware devices, they're also touting all of the things that they're trying to do on the service side. So with the upgrade in the watch, they're also highlighting all of the the services and features that they want to uh, to accompany the hardware. And I think we're going to continue to see that from Apple as they focus on what happens beyond the devices. I think if you look at the phones, for example, we know that consumers are holding onto their phones for much longer. They're not upgrading or feeling like they need to upgrade every year to have the the newest phone. So they're holding on to them uh, you know, longer. I think there still will be a lot of people upgrading to the iPhone 13, but they will be coming, as you noted, not off the 12, but off the 10 or off you know, some, something else. So they'll be looking to, to upgrade. And I think that uh, you know Apple is going to have to build a narrative, just like every phone manufacturer, build a narrative about what comes beyond the, uh, the standard phone. You know, and I think we we do have a rich future ahead of us where we probably will see a lot of really interesting things happen as 5G becomes more prevalent. We'll see what 5G is capable of doing. We'll see the, the form factors change. Obviously, we've seen a lot from Samsung around foldable, bendable, rollable. Uh, we haven't seen a- Apple push in that direction really yet, but uh, but at some point we probably will. And I think you're going to, you know, B- AR, VR, mixed reality is definitely an area that Apple has has been active in and will be uh, inevitably playing there and using the, the iPhone as a hub device for those type of experiences. So we'll see more there. But I think they're, they're going to continue to tout the services as they, uh, as they try to build out these ecosystems in an environment where the, the hardware isn't changing so significantly that, that it's really causing users to feel like they need to upgrade every single year. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you know, you mentioned the USB-C transition. I can't remember uh, a transition taking as long as uh, this one has uh, Apple moving from Lightning to USB-C. It seems like they move one new product over uh, every year. Of course, the iPhone line is still all uh, Lightning connector. Uh, and, you know, it's clear that they're they're moving in that direction. Uh, I don't know why it's taking them so many years to do this, whereas they can switch out an entire processor architecture uh, on the Mac in, in, you know, two years, probably less. But, uh, but your point, uh, Sean, about uh, the functionality, uh, last thing I have to say is just that I think a lot of the criticism uh, was not even so much about there not being such a dramatic form factor change or spec change. But really, from a software perspective, uh, what new functionality was enabled? Uh, and while some of it was impressive in terms of the computational demands, the question is, how relevant is it to the average consumer? You know, does the average consumer care? I mean, are we getting to the point with the low-light photography where that level of performance is really only of interest to semi-pro or pro photographers um, or you know are we getting th- these these cinematic uh, video effects you know is that something that anyone is going to bother to to deal with as they you know record their kids little league game or you know the the ephemera of, of daily life that we capture with our phones so uh, I, I think that's something to watch I think one th- also something Apple gets dinged on a little bit on these uh, product launches is that 
they've already kind of told a lot of the software story behind them at WWDC in June. So these devices will launch with those new operating systems. Um, and so that's a big part of the story uh, that uh, I, I think there's a bit of a disconnect uh, when, when they do their fall product announcements. So there, there will be benefits there. Yeah, and we'll see the uh, iOS 15 and, and iPad iOS 15 launch on Sept- September 20th. We're expecting updates for uh, FaceTime notifications and, and much more there as well. In other news this week, we saw that uh, CNBC reported on a Deutsche Bank estimate that Walmart Plus has garnered 32 million members. Walmart Plus, of course, is their $99 a year uh, subscription service. You can also subscribe for uh, $12.95 a month if you want to go on a month-to-month basis. One of the key perks to Walmart Plus is free unlimited grocery deliveries to home for orders of $35 or more. Uh, There's some other perks as well, fuel discounts, access to scan-and-go apps that allow people to skip the checkout line. But it uh, really is probably the the delivery services and especially the grocery delivery services that are uh, appealing to uh, consumers. So according to that Deutsche Bank study, about 25% of respondents said in June and July that they had Walmart Plus. That compares to about 19% from prior months, so it's it's up, uh, and that also compares to 57% of survey respondents that said they belong to a competing membership program that we all know to be Amazon Prime, the, the big winner there. And, and Walmart is making big pushes around Walmart Plus. Uh, we saw on Thursday during a, a virtual conference hosted by Goldman Sachs that Walmart CEO uh, mentioned that they are, uh, you know, converting some of their stores to be mini warehouses so that they can expand their capacity and fulfill a, a larger volume of online grocery orders. So the the storefronts are becoming part of their distribution channel. And and you know this goes back to something that that I have long talked about. What Amazon is really good at is logistics. Beyond being just a retailer, they're they're a master at logistics and you think about Walmart and they really were the the first master of logistics that was a core aspect of their business model was getting products to stores uh, and and getting them there inexpensively so that they could have a, a great price offering so uh, so Walmart is definitely in the game when it comes to their subscription service it appears to be growing and uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it's an interesting challenge for Amazon as they try to expand into some of those categories like food delivery, grocery delivery. Yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting to see uh, Am- Amazon, which, uh, of course, uh, you know, is uh, famous for its, uh, its, its warehousing capability make this big push over the, and, and you know, still building out uh, warehouses, uh, an announcement um, from earlier in the week about how they're looking to hire, you know, over 100,000 more, um, you know, fulfillment center workers and drivers, uh, you know, at least for the coming holiday season. But, uh, you know, a, a company that was one time synonymous with, with pure play retail, uh, has been making such a, a push uh, over the past few years 
uh, to build out storefronts, uh, Whole Foods, Amazon Go, the Amazon Four Star Store, Amazon Books. Uh, so, um, you know, really, really establishing more of a presence, uh, whereas uh, Walmart, you know, which is for better or worse, <laughs> has been all about the store experience, you know, for uh, almost all of its existence uh, is uh, is now leveraging some of that state space to uh, get fulfillment closer to the customer. And uh, I think these numbers are uh, are impressive um, and and certainly interesting uh, in that uh, on the impressive front, you know, it looks it, it shows that the company can play in digital services, can play in digital subscription services, despite uh, what many considered to be uh, you know challenging uh, demographics um, for for that kind of uh, of offering. Uh, and, uh, you know, customer demographics. Uh, and I think the overlap is really interesting, too, in that, uh, yes, so, you know, Prime, Amazon Prime kind of started with this two-day shipping proposition. Walmart Plus kind of started with this grocery uh, proposition uh, and, you know, also offers two-day shipping, but but that's uh, less form, less uh, foremost in, in the offering. It's not as uh, uh, front-facing in the offering. Uh, but uh, as you noted, Sean, they, they really are in some ways complementary. Uh, and so it's not surprising that, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, that so many customers see value uh, in, uh, in, in both. They're complementary now, but surely Walmart wants to push more into delivery of, you know, durable goods, non-perishable goods. Sure. And likewise, Amazon clearly wants to push into uh, more heavily into perishable goods. Yeah, they, oh, sure. they bought yeah. Whole Foods. They continue to open grocery stores. Uh, you know, we talked on last week's episode here in D.C. They're opening some of their automated stores and, and you know, their expanded Go stores, which will be much larger grocery stores, which also... Uh, look like they would facilitate grocery delivery quite well. So I think they're they're both pushing into each other's domains. Right now, Walmart has a much stronger physical presence, but but I think that uh, a- Amazon is going to catch up with that, building out uh, more distribution points in markets. And uh, and likewise, I think that Walmart will look to build out different type of physical distribution points within these markets. Uh, I, I continue to think that um, we're going to see a lot of changes around the type of food that's delivered as well. Uh, we're seeing grocery stores move more towards prepared meals. And this is you know everything from kind of the blue apron model where you get a recipe with the items that you need and you prepare yourself to what what I'll call the Costco model or or whatever where you you know you get the uh, roasted chicken and it's already cooked and prepared and and maybe you do some final preparation you put the loaf of bread in the oven or or whatever it is but um, but then you have a prepared meal uh, for you and I I think there's a wide spectrum in that food category that isn't being well served today. And I think both Amazon and Walmart are going to be ripe to service that market because they're going to have local distribution. And that's, I think, one of the things that's hurt Blue Apron and some of these, you know, hello, Fre- fresh. freshly, freshly. And yeah, yeah. is that you're, you're shipping it over, you know, the, the mail. And so you have 
different packaging requirements. You have different cooling requirements. If Amazon or the Walmart Plus can time the delivery, say, to arrive at five and not have to do some of the other uh, you know, packaging requirements, plus they're already running a truck to your neighborhood if they can uh, economize on some of that. So I think there's some really interesting things that can happen there. And also, maybe you have on Monday, you have four meals delivered, right? And one of them is uh, something that's ready to go at that minute. That's what you're cooking on Monday night. The other ones require a little more prep. Maybe some of them are being, you know, you think about meats or other things that you've got seasoned. So you're going to put those in the fridge until Tuesday or Wednesday. And so you, you get your whole uh, week of meals delivered in varying states all in, in one go. I think there's some really interesting opportunities in that space beyond just the normal grocery store deliveries of ice cream and milk and, you know, eggs and other things like that. So, yeah, it's it's not just uh, the shipping costs that pose challenges for a lot of those services. Uh, it's the time, uh, as you note. you know, if you sign up for one of them, you kind of have to pick your meals like a week in advance uh, uh, because they have to prepare them and and then ship them. So it's uh, it's sometimes difficult and and takes away from the convenience argument to have to think a week in advance. Well, what am I going to want to eat <laughs> next Thursday? You know, what what am I going to be in the mood for? So uh, I, I think the other interesting uh, battleground will be content. You know, which has long been a part of uh, Amazon's offering. And uh, Walmart uh, had owned um, the Voodoo service, uh, which they sold off, and that did a few things for them. Uh, It allowed Voodoo to get on the boxes of Fire TV, for one, uh, uh, their their competitor. Uh, But, uh, you know, it also, I think, freed them to do more deals, much like a carrier uh, with different kinds of video services, so uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see how that comes into the play. Uh, again, I think that there are. I, I certainly agree with you that they're on far more of a direct collision course. But again, I don't think Walmart is is out there saying, you know, let's clone Prime. You know, I think they're thinking what's going to resonate with our customers. And so, you know, I see that they're thinking about things like prescription discounts. Um, you know, again, precedent out there, and they're they're in a great uh, position to deliver it. And I think there are a lot of services that could be delivered to the home that neither Amazon nor Walmart Plus are are doing right now. So, for example, I just bought four new tires for a car, and I'm having them, uh, you know, mailed to a service provider, delivered to a service provider, and that server, service provider is coming out to my house and doing the installation right mm-hmm. at my home. So I don't have to take my vehicle to a you know to a garage to have them done. I would think that that's an area that uh, Walmart could definitely play in. They already have sure. tire centers in, in some of their stores. It's an area that Amazon could easily get into uh, because they just you know run a truck to do that, and and you can kind of run it across the marketplace. So if you've got enough congestion in a marketplace, you can start to introduce a lot of different services. So I I think. That uh, you know, both of these uh, services have a lot of growth ahead of them, not just in the number of households that will use them, but also the type of services that they can offer them. And and so often when we see these type of studies come out, people say, "Wow, you know, fifty-seven percent of households have Amazon Prime. Who else possibly is going to get it?" It's it, they they view it as a saturation narrative, but I don't think we're anywhere close to that saturation. 
just given the number of services that could be added on to what's already being offered. In other news this week, we saw that uh, Discord raised $500 million, putting it at a $15 billion post-money valuation. That's more than double the, the uh, valuation from last year. For those of you who don't have teenagers in your home or may not be familiar <laughs> with Discord. Discord or or is, who aren't investing in NFTs. Or who aren't, yeah, that's right, who aren't yeah. investing in NFTs. Uh, Discord is a uh, essentially a group chatting platform. It was originally built for gamers, popular for gamers, but has moved on beyond that. And I know that uh, my sons use it for a variety of, of different things. It allows you to uh, text. It allows you to do uh, essentially voice. Um, and you can talk. You can do video. You can uh, hang out. The, the, um, there's a, a lot of communication channels that you can uh, engage in. I think a lot of it tends to be text-based, but uh, you know there is the opportunity for for voice, and um, we see people building communities within the the Discord and building what what are called Discord channels for their community. Uh, at the same time, uh, this week and uh, and late last week, we saw that uh, YouTube is uh, working to knock some of the Discord bots offline that were going to YouTube and allowing Discord users to uh, listen to to music that were essentially stripped from from the videos that are played on uh, on YouTube. Last year they for excuse me last week they forced GroovyBot offline, and uh, they're doing the same to Rhythm, which is a bot that has 560 million plus users, and and again let's Discord users play music from YouTube videos. Yeah, this has uh, been a long running issue for, so for, you know, first off, first off uh, as far as uh, Discord is, uh, is concerned, it's just kind of, you know, funny to me how we see the same things getting invented over and over again, or at least picking up momentum uh, every, every few years. Uh, this seems to me to be a very similar story to, to WhatsApp uh, or, or Skype, you know, years before that, or to some extent, Zoom uh, or, or Yammer in the corporate space. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just funny how the functionality, there's really nothing uh, breakthrough uh, that's a breakthrough about the functionality. It's just the community that, uh, that springs up around it. Uh, it becomes the new cool place. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, following a lot of these uh, NFT stories, uh, a lot of these, uh, these investors and the people minting these things are building their communities around discord um, uh, because it's, it's viewed as the uh, as as the cool place uh, for cool people online, and, and um, it's where they're hanging out, right? It's where yeah, the, this cohort, right? it's where the younger cohort is uh, hanging out. Uh, we saw that Discord reported that users doubled in 2020, revenue tripled to 130 million, and and they're going into different areas. They're starting to to develop in house games. And so it, it does start to look like a Facebook in some ways, right? This is the place where users are hanging out. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you're a, 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 someone at Facebook 
concerned about antitrust, you know, this is like the best news you've heard in forever because you, you can point to this and say, hey, you know, here, here you go, proof that we don't monopolize, you know, the online social uh, market, you know, uh, however you define that, which is something we talked about on the past podcast. But look, you know, here's here's something that's springing up. It's got its own vibe. It's attracting millions of users. You know, it competes with with at least one of our offerings and we don't have anything to do with it. So uh, so there's that on the YouTube side. Um, you know, this has, again, been a really long running battle uh, for for YouTube uh, trying to protect the music on its service as it has sought to monetize uh, YouTube music. And uh, I did see some coverage of this story saying that YouTube is looking to uh, work with Discord in some way uh, on this kind of functionality. You know, it makes me wonder why they haven't been able to launch uh, any kind of uh, advertiser-supported free service uh, similar to what Spotify has done, right? Because if they were able to do that, then, you know, they would be able to open up all of this music to to all of these bots, to, to all of these uh, guys wanting access to it, and they'd be able to deliver it, but they would also be delivering ads. You know, you would think that with ads being the dominant revenue model at YouTube, uh, that uh, they would be down with that. But but maybe you know they can't make the numbers work in in terms of the licensing. Maybe maybe that's uh, you know one of the the sweetheart uh, deals that Spotify has access to given its history. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point, Ross. You would expect to to see that, and not just the bots on Discord, but everywhere else in in Xbox uh, games and everything else. And we we see younger generations overlaying music on top of everything, right? It's TikTok videos, it's uh, everything that they're doing. So being able to have uh, a way of producing music streams for them at, you know, know, the advertising. Plus, that's an audience that advertisers are trying to get in front of. So there would be an interesting, uh, you know, opportunity for them. Not, Not only that, but not only is it a revenue stream in its own right, but I'm sure that it's Spotify's number one subscription revenue feeder. Right. Uh, yeah. That's that's what people upgrade from. So, yeah. Well, and we see that Amazon uh, going back to our, you know, your story about the services. Amazon has Amazon Music and they do have a free True. tier that they offer to their prime members. So you can either su- subscribe to it to get full access to the catalog or you can get limited access to the catalog. And, you know, they must be bankrolling that through through prime or through other you know, mechanisms. So you would think that, uh, that Google would be able to do that. Um, but it, it's clear to me that also YouTube is wanting to drive subscriptions. You see it with YouTube TV, you see it with music. They're really trying to drive subscriptions and, and maybe they feel like they've exhausted to some extent the, the advertising model and, and looking to augment that with subscriptions. I guess you got to bundle it with Walmart plus. That's uh, that's the only a truck will come by and deliver your music every week. So, <laughs> yeah, they could. Uh, you would think that they would want to partner with Discord too. I mean, it would be a great opportunity to to partner with them and uh, and figure out how to deliver music to them. So, 
Well, that's probably a good place to end this week's episode of Textmansive. Again, I'm Sean Duberback. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Duberback. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks for listening.